We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Um, Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect opportunity for you. As part of the program, uh, you'll receive your own personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks that we all use. And on top of that, we'll uh, help you get your show pushed out to Apple and Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all those other platforms. And the, the best part is you can get that all for 15 bucks a month. I can tell you from personal experience of hosting my own podcast, it, it cost it cost me more than that to, to start my own and, and host my own podcast. So that's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an opportunity to level up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for the episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Hey, yeah. I feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And the Timberwolves are two and two to start the season, which, if I'm being honest, this sinks in a little bit more. Um, that's definitely at least one more win than I thought this team was going to start the season with against, with games against the Pistons, Jazz, Lakers, and Clippers. Um, yet it still seems like this team is substantially worse than a 2-2 two and two team. And that's a confusing topic. So Britt Robson of The Athletic is here um, to dig into that with me today. Britt just wrote a great column on that topic exactly um, at The Athletic, so check that out for him there. But, Britt, you um, you zagged. Classic <laughs> classic Britt style, and you love this team, even though they suck right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised <laughs> by this team. I mean... No, it's, it's interesting. It's, you're not wrong. What did we think at the beginning? What what I thought, I, I shouldn't ascribe my mindset to everybody else, but coming into this season, I thought this front office is relying on a center that has never consistently played any defense and they're giving him no help. 
They're giving right. they're giving him no rim protection from their power forwards, and they're giving him uh, no foreclosure of dribble penetration from their backcourt personnel. So this thing is going to be a layup line most of the time. Um, and then I also thought, uh, you know, there's a lopsided uh, offense defense, and there's also a lopsided group of wings versus front court personnel. How in the world are you ever going to get anything really? sustainable out of this scenario and then lo and behold they do kind of what was expected which is play the awful pistons to a draw essentially and you know (laughs) pull it out in the fourth quarter and then they go to utah and my whole attitude toward this team uh you know it's it's probably a knee-jerk reaction to some extent but i just never expected to see carl anthony towns play with the maturity and perspective that he was playing with and to do it alongside Josh Okogie as the power forward after Okogie did such a great job on Blake Griffin, which by the way, totally, man. kudos to you. The last time we talked, we discussed this and I laughed at the idea of Okogie guarding Blake Griffin, <laughs> said that Blake Griffin would crush him on a chest to chest drive, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't, I mean, there's a lot of different tangents to get in here into here, but I mean, I know you're not just watching these Wolves games, but you're watching other NBA games too. And crazy, season. I might just be looking at it through the lens of of a Kogi now, ostensibly being this team's power forward of the now and potentially the future to some degree. And so I'm watching these other games, and I'm looking at the power forwards that other teams are running out there. And I mean, and just look at the. The Wolves opponents like, okay, Blake Griffin, that's like a sharp contrast, right? Right. At, at the beginning. But Bogdanovich, we would have thought of him a couple of years ago as a two, three, he starts for the jazz there. Right. Um, and then the, you know, the, the Lakers is, is like Kuzma, right. but you know, that's also kind of, I think a couple of years ago would have thought of Kuzma as like a three. Right. And then, and then, you know, last night it was Nicholas Batum at at the four. You, you you go you go around the league, and there's so many guys who we previously would have thought of as small forwards who are now power forwards. Now Okogi is a step even further than that because he's six foot four. And, but and but I think not that heavy. I mean, two fourteen. Okay. You yeah, know. but 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 I think he's put on. I think he's put on some weight since then. Too. I would guess like, so too. But Batum is six eight two thirty. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, and Okogi didn't guard it, which we got that the Batum <laughs> Delo experience was was something. Um but but yeah, no, I, I think I think you're wise to focus on on the cat angle here because because yeah, I, I obviously that's always that's always the thing to focus on. Like this whole team is is constructed in that sort of way. And that Utah game was was wildly impressive from from Cat. And I don't know if you watched the Jazz game. The, the Jazz opener game against yeah, the Blazers, Portland. but they they waxed them. They did. They just I and I'm so I'm watching that like in the afternoon before the Wolves played the Jazz, and I'm like, uh oh, right. there's just no shot. Like right. the Wolves are best case a poor man's Portland, and then they come out and and they win, and that's because the difference between Portland and Minnesota is that Minnesota has a better setter, right? And Cat actually showed that, you know. Well, and, and, but but Utah didn't necessarily think so. That was what was crazy. I mean, I went back and, and watched that Utah game just to make sure I wasn't overselling, you know, the play of Cat and the rest of the team. 
in the first quarter, I would say about 10 of nine out of 10 of their first half court sets were pick and rolls right straight downhill at cat. They thought that they could either follow him out of the game or just blitz him out of the arena or something. I mean, that's what you and I would have done if we were coaching in the jazz, right? Right. Well, I mean, except they do the have enough three point shooters. Right. But I agree that it, it definitely would have been uh, a strategy and, um, and cat, to his credit, uh, not only held on, but began to digest exactly, you know, the vagaries of each pick and roll they were kind of running and knowing when sure. to knowing when to cheat, you know, knowing when to stay home, uh, you know, and Gobert, you know, to be fair, is not like the the most deceptive dude on the court in terms of you, you pretty much know what he's doing as soon as he does it. But I still thought uh, that was really nice. Then he had those back-to-back blocks like three or four minutes into the game. Uh, And then they began to, you know, shift it a little bit. And the next thing you know, Cat's handling baseline drives from Royce O'Neal and and going up so cleanly that Royce O'Neal has to basically almost fall to his knees and try to bank one reverse banker off the the glass so that he doesn't run in the cat. He was who's in the air because it would have been an offensive foul. I just, uh, my point is everybody predictably, you know, let's face it. Uh, fandom is what it is. And it's, it's very recency bias oriented. Um, they got blown out the last two games against the Lakers and, and the clips. Yes, sir. And I mean, just really, really spanked. But what's the difference between 30-point wins and and 30-point losses and 12-point losses, which is kind of what you'd expect if both teams were at full strength, you know, going there? To me, that's expected. What was unexpected about this year thus far is the good things, not the bad things. The bad things are always going to be there, I thought, and and to some extent they have been, except for Cat. I think though a little bit of pushback on that, and and I know I just talked about this last night after the game is, and I I hit home that same point like it's the Lakers, it's the Clippers, you know I understand Davis and Kawhi are out in those games, but still that's JV versus varsity. It just just stack up the talent. It is what it is. The only way the Wolves were going to compete in those games was for the Lakers or the Clippers to lie down. They would have had to you know, make it a game. The Wolves, the Wolves couldn't have. The issue I have is that the Wolves lied down in those games. And, and that, that's a problem because though it's somewhat understandable, you lose cat in the middle of the road trip, like, you know, you're drowning a little bit there yet. There's elements of that that I think are somewhat unforgivable too. And, and I start thinking about, going forward here and just the number I'm putting in my head is 15 games out for cat. Just that's what it was last year when he was out with the knee. Uh I don't know. It's just, it's just the way I'm thinking about it. And I think it's really important that over these 15 games that the wolves find some semblance of a style of play and a culture of play to be able to be relevant 15 games later when, when cat comes back, because this team cannot afford, in my opinion, to have another, folded joyless empty a season void of any sort of tangible progression 
Now that's not like playoff. I'm not. I'm not talking about it even in win totals, going to playoffs, whatever. Like, you you predicted 26 wins. I predicted 29 wins for this team, and that was with Cat. Us, you know. So that our bar is not high for what it is. But there's there's different phylums here to look at win total and also just moving in the damn right direction for for once and and this group if it lies down here over those 15 games like that's going to be a problem because that i think the year will largely crumble away if they go three and 12 over this stretch and that's dangerous that's dangerous to me so i am i'm acknowledging all the things you acknowledged you know i'm doing it more game by game you know thumbs up thumbs up thumbs down thumbs down but um I'm concerned about that to some degree. And I think rightfully so. My pushback on your pushback would be that I didn't see that many people lie down with the possible exception of D'Lo. And in that case, it's really hard to tell because his defense is always so uh, nonchalant. So, I mean, where did the team lie down? I just think what happened was that they got – they first of all, your tweet last night that I read, and I think probably liked or whatever, but in any case, it, it impressed upon me, it was accurate. Physicality wise, the Clippers just murdered them. The Wolves started a guy who was wasn't drafted, who's in his six <laughs> hundredth minute in a couple of games from now, and weighs two hundred and sixty-four pounds of not muscle. I mean, he's definitely more sculpted, but he isn't a 264-pound player on the court in terms of how he moves. Everyone else in the starting lineup last night was under 200 pounds. It's insane. A- well, against the Clippers. Culver, Culver's probably got two bills now. You think so? He was 190. That's what he's listed as, 195. Yeah, but the, I mean, he, so he came in at 195, and if you put on 10. But I, your point stands that this, the team was scrawny. Let's just straight up and and Nas isn't exactly hulking at, at the five either right. so so yeah if you're Ty Lue and you're going into this game that's what you're attacking right is like yeah I, I think if I'm Ty Lue I'm going I can't wait till Zubats gets into the game like, Unbelievable. you know Zubats is is so much better for that team at the five than Surge I mean I get it there's probably some kind of uh uh chemistry and you know surge is the the proven vet blocks all kinds of shots why this team doesn't and they, and they will they will go big i think yeah, against I certain lineups say. but having zubak ibaka paul george and Kawhi in the game <laughs> and then and then beverly beverly your as your little guy <laughs> you know as your weak link you know i mean oh for sure you know and but i do think that that's the way uh, to play. And, and I also think Zubak, first of all, I think he's really underrated. And, and secondly, once Nas left the game, you know, they got destroyed. Game over. Yeah. I, you know what, but, but that again, going back to what we were talking about before expected right. versus, you know, effort issues or something. And, and that was expected. It was expected that Avica Zubak was going to kill you in the front court. What I think wasn't expected was how they tried to handle all the hiding of the players and executing on that, which is a critical element for this team. Where every single game, we could go through game by game if we want, of the different types of strategies where 
where Saunders has tried to hide D'Lo, but this one was particularly pronounced because the Clippers are starting, you know, freaking minimum contract Nicholas Batum in their starting lineup right now. And and Saunders goes, all right, that's the D'Lo spot. But the Clippers are still like, what'd you say? How how big is Batum? 6'9", 230? Like, it's still, like, Batum doesn't have to be a post-up real threat to even become a post-up threat in those situations because he's just bang down, bang down on D'Lo, and then he's going to get layups, forcing the Wolves to have to bring a double, and then it was just, you know, it's just Nas has to come over, or do I have to come over, and then now Abaka cuts, and it's all, you know, it's all a mess. So it's not just the physicality. It's, it's the inability to match up that this group has, and I think that's going to be perhaps even more of a problem with this team over this catless stretch is how that, how were they going to match up defensively, even against opponents that don't overwhelm them with physical strength? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Those are very, very viable issues in my view. And it gets to a very awkward subject here, which is if you want a post cat identity for however long it is, to some extent, you have to flip the keys to Rubio. He's got to be the guy who sets the tone at both ends of the court. There isn't another player who can set the tone at both ends of the court in a reliable fashion that can conform to the system. You know? Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. and so I think that, and that creates all kinds of issues i mean you've got a 30 million dollar guy as your 1b star and uh i think he has to play too obviously which means you have that starting lineup that went last night quite a bit you get a lot of j mac in the second unit well you know that's fine and i love j mac as you know but there are shades of uh there are shades of of the dregs that timberwolves fans are used to with that kind of system. And then if you throw in when and if is Edwards going to hit the rookie wall, uh, when and if is Culver going to surmount his confidence issues that suddenly have cropped up again, or is that not a thing? Um, Is Beasley going to be able to calm down enough to function within a system that isn't protecting him as well? Um, you know, these are all pretty big questions that the mere presence of Cat solved a lot of those questions. And the, yeah. and the ones that Cat didn't solve, to some extent, Okogie was solving. I mean, Okogie really was. Or, or, Ryan, or Ryan was solving right, with right. defensive adjustments right. as well. Right. Yeah. They, I mean, I, I think what you're saying with Rubio is, is similar to what <clears throat> I'm thinking just from a more technical standpoint where the Wolves cannot afford to have both D'Lo and Beasley on the floor together unless they can be hidden. They can't effectively be hidden with this personnel that they currently have, Sands, Okogi, and Sands Cat. What was happening in the first two games, to Ryan's credit and to the team's credit, was that when D'Lo and Beasley were on the floor together, two of Cat, Okogi, and Culver were out there with them sometimes three and and that was enough to balance things defensively now literally 
you can only play one of those three guys together with D'Lo and Beasley because Jarrett Culver is the only one there. And Jarrett Culver, without Josh Okoge and Cat, doesn't seem to be Jarrett Culver either. And also, given... let's not forget Edwards. I mean, he really plays well with Edwards. And that's because... Okay, yeah. But 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 Edwards is a, is a, isn't in the defensive conversation here either. He's passable defensively on size alone, but but you're working like he doesn't he doesn't paste over the problems that Russell and Beasley are defensively. And and so I at least for now, he's not a solution to put into that Cat Akoki Culver solution bin. So you're left with a, a break. It, it, it's broken. And and what Saunders was doing before when it broke was going to zone. Right. So under that same premise, the answer would be go zone the whole game. Well, that's not realistic. Right. So so now you're kind of presented with a situation where you have to stagger D'Lo and Beasley if you want to survive defensively. But then last night we see we see the offense when there's only one of them out there, and oh my god, the spacing's dead. It's so painfully obvious to the defense that it's going through Beasley or Russell. And and that and that brings up the Rubio part and, where you need a second creator. And also the reason I I was talking about Edwards with Culver is because first of all, I think they have really good synergy. They're both really important to the future of this team, the upside future. And then also, if you flip the roles of Rubio and D'Lo, which is kind of what I was getting at, and you have D'Lo come in with that second unit, first guy off the bench initially joins Rubio, then Rubio sits. Uh, you have yeah, but Britt, you can't. You it's the same. You can start them together and still stagger them. Like yeah. they're gonna have to play some together, no matter what. Might as well avoid that poison cocktail of moving Tilo to a, a bench role. Like, well, I mean, I, not... I wouldn't characterize it. I mean, the same way we don't characterize Rubio as a bench role, it wouldn't be. It would be a sixth man. It would be, or alternatively, you give him an ultimatum that. We need to see more from you on the defensive side. I mean, that's really the problem here. Beasley has his issues on defense. Don't get me wrong, but he—he—he's mm-hmm. trying. He's a weird. He's a mucker of speed. Most muckers are guys who just clog things with their brawn. Uh, Beasley tends to muck things up by dashing around. Yeah, and and there's value in that sometimes. I mean, he creates turnovers. He, he keeps rebounds alive uh, just by going in there and banging for them. He loves, sure. he loves to rebound in traffic, and there's defensive value in that. Um, but D'Lo, D'Lo's defensive values, and I talk about this in the column, I think he's, he's circumspect, which isn't a great thing to be necessarily as a defender, except that he does fill passing lanes. He's got great, you know, wingspan he's decent on deflections he can anticipate reasonably well but if you're talking about getting to the corner to close out on a three-point shooter or or uh pick and roll uh switch change in a hurry um that's not you know that's not him and so right and also let's face it uh, his last two games have been offensively have been uh all right, let me see if I can take this over. Oh, I can't. All right, well, let's see what somebody else can do. I'll sit back and watch. You know, um, right. 
See, I, I think, and, and this is not a encouraging sign, but it's also not an indictment. In, in D'Lo plays better defensively when they're winning or when the game is close and when it would seem to matter more to play defense. That's, that's not an unfamiliar like, characteristic of NBA players. The problem is, is he starts at such a, a low talent level defensively that it becomes even more glaring because even when he's engaged and trying, he's still not that good due to a lack of just athleticism. But but th- th- that's what's discouraging to me from D'Lo in these two games is he goes, well, this game's over, so I'm not going to be the same amount of engaged defensively as I was in the first two wins. And, you know, that's not the sign of a leader. That's not the sign – that's not the sign of him being a different player than he was in L.A. or that he was in Golden State. D'Lo was more engaged in Brooklyn because they were winning more often. The de- the, his defensive numbers so strongly correlate to the overall success of the team. And and I was optimistic. We talked about have talked about this. I was optimistic in D'Angelo Russell this year that some of that would go away. That, you know, it the proverbial light switch of, you know, maturity and, and professionalism and just consistent engagement. And I loved it in the first two games. Honestly, I didn't think he was that much of a problem defensively at all. And then, and then you just, you see the nonchalance kick up a level and the defense just shatters. And that's the problem. That's why people don't like D'Angelo Russell is because that's why they haven't liked him over the first five years is that that's it. Okay. So, um, you've got a delicate situation here. He's, you know, he's on the hook, you know, for a, what a hundred million dollars or so. Um, so, yep. so you make it work, and you just got through saying exactly how it can't work unless you want to piss off your uh, sixteen million dollar a year guy. Uh, you know, everybody says obesity be great off the bench. I don't like the idea of a, a chicken with his head cut off like Beasley plays playing with second unit guys. <laughs> I mean, that does not sound good to no. me at all. At least have people out on the floor that can can figure out what he's doing and adjust accordingly. Um, you know, he's pretty clearly just not a third guy on a team, though, at the same time. I'm with you. He might not be a sixth man, but he's pretty clearly not a second or third either, you know. So just big picture of this, you know, he's see, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't know if that's true. You know, I think I like his aggressiveness. Uh, I think, yeah, he, he robs shots from people, but I also think that he's got skills. He's got range. He's, he spaces the floor. Um, he's also quick with his decision making, which this team really needs, especially yeah. especially with Devo. Uh, I don't think he's bad defensively. I, I or I mean, sorry, offensively. I I don't like. I I think all those things are there, but he's getting put into a second guy. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. He's been put into a a, a number two role on the team. He's never played anything close to that, outside of you know the brokenness of you know, post-trade deadline last season. And I don't know. I mean, what, what he's able to going to be able to show in this month or whatever it'll be as the number two 
will be informative as to what he can be when this team gets good a year or two, theoretically, you know, down the road. Right. I think it'll be defining. I think it will define if he is going to be a third, fourth, fifth, or sixth guy on the team. Well, doesn't it seem obvious? I haven't looked at the lineup data recently, but I did early. He and Rubio, Rubio and Beasley are a really nice combo. Uh, and I think Ryan's done a good job of targeting that. Yes. I think Ryan, you know, and I talk about this in the column, it's another reason that I'm, I'm more, I'm certainly sanguine about the, you know, last uh, couple of games. And uh, aside from cat's emergence, the most positive development that I've seen. And, and one of the reasons I am less down on this team right now is because Ryan isn't, a, a null and void. He's not an empty shell. He's not a, you know, a total echo of uh, Rosa. Not at all. You know, he's really. I didn't agree with him separating Culver and and uh, Edwards uh, in the rotation, but uh, I have agreed with his desire to tinker. I thought when he went to the zone and when he didn't, how he switched that up, especially in the second half of the opener, was uh, really important to that game. I think that what he did, I, you know, he was using Cat really well, and Cat was playing in a manner that allowed himself to be used well. Was the other cool thing, you know, right. um, you know, for all of Cat's real, real um, bottom of the barrel, just dreadful quotes about himself and his soul gone and everything like that. He really has played with a with a perspective that seems mature and and really 100%. intelligent. You know, it to to the Ryan point. I've been thinking a lot about that too because I thought that was maybe I I don't even him him and Akogi were the two biggest like whoa moments of those first two games to me. Um, and and the kind of the conclusion I've come to with Ryan is that he last year was doing what was told to get the job. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, that's I don't know if that's that's probably putting too blunt of a point on it. But I think in general, well, it's because I'm in general, I'm setting it right. up to, to, to <laughs> give him <laughs> to give him some praise. I mean, like, I honestly, even even if it was subconsciously, you know, right. You've never been a head coach before. You know, there, there's a, a new president there. You need to endear, endear yourself to him. Ryan's an endearing person, and and he recognized like we got we just got to do what Rosas says, what what uh, Vanterpool says. Like those are probably right. the right general principles to follow. I think that's what his thinking was. Now he's realizing, all right, I was doing that to get the job. I got to expand the blueprint to keep the job. Very well said. And I agree with that. And and I think that's I think that's where it's moving, and that's and that's an important marker to kind of track here because, you know, who's going to be the coach? We always talk about when the Timberwolves good, good. You know, years down the road, who's going to be the coach? And and for many people, the idea has been, you know, Ryan's an an extended interim guy. Yeah. there. And I think that and that's that, a and, logical. You know, you've said it. I've heard yeah. you say it. I have. If I haven't said it, I've certainly thought it. Um, Ryan is a useful scapegoat. If, I mean, if you really want to get, uh, 
down to the brass tack here, that is one of the ways he can be viewed is, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I remember when Kevin McHale fired Dwayne Casey with a 2020 record and said he just wasn't, you know, producing efficiently enough. Well, they didn't see 500 again for probably five or six years, you know? (laughs) Right. No, it's Ryan has a chance here. I, I haven't, ever known he thought that he had a, a real chance here um for for a couple different reasons and he has an opportunity um that has been a bit hindered for sure by cat's absence but if he can get cat to have the year that you were describing on the on the tail end of trauma or through trauma then that's that's a major plus yes. to Ryan's resume and if he can get this team to to not just talk about having a culture and a stylistic ideal, but actually show that, that's another plus. And you check both of those boxes, that's a good reason to keep him around. I you know, I, I think I don't know what more you could expect from other coaches because I mean the the thing people are going to say is, you know, just look at the record, look at the record. Well, we've litigated this a million times, and it's it's very fair in, in my mind that the second half of the Tibbs year is a completely unfair way to measure Saunders's clout as as a coach, given just the whatever the hell was going on there. Jared Bayless was their only point guard, and all of the vets shut it down. And then last year was just a shit show with Cat being – Cat being in, they start hot. Cat gets suspended for two games. Cat comes back. They're all right. Cat misses 15 games. They start losing. Then then Cat comes back, and then Cat's out for the rest of the season. You train the whole roster. Like, what would you want Greg Popovich to do in that situation? Would have it been better? Yeah. Are there better coaches than Ryan Saunders? Yes, of course. But But I don't know how we can really measure what he's done. And I'm hoping we can take this year to actually be able to do that or that Rosas can be able to do that because that's important. Well, and you just said the final sentence you had there is the magic words. It doesn't really matter what we think. And we don't even know what Rosas (laughs) is presupposing here. You know, Rosas may be saying, all right, you know, I mean, he's going to get me further along so that X can, you know, do this. Uh, Or he may be saying... This is exactly. It's unfortunate that that's the vibe of it, right? Well, I mean, why is that the vibe? Because it's the NBA. Think of all the coaches who you just get slack jawed. They got that guy got fired, you know. Uh, Billy Donovan. I mean, maybe he, yeah, maybe he really did want to leave. Although the bowl certainly doesn't seem like a bowl of cherries. Um, (laughs) But you know, I mean, people get, you know, mutual differences. Who knows what that means? Nine times out of 10, I think it means that, you know, my uh, difference with you is that you're firing me. So therefore I quit, uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, the Katie Atkinson. Yeah. So again, yeah. And there's a lot of really good coaches. And then, you know, there's always the cliche. Well, you know, they stopped listening to him, you know, or whatever. Uh, right. It's funny how nobody ever stops listening to the general manager, you know, <laughs> as in the owner. Uh Let's uh, let's take a quick break right. and we'll come back in one second. Yeah. 
The NBA is back in action, heading into the playoffs. Is football. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From the game spreads and totals to team and player coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, championship, futures, all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Britt, should we start talking about where this team goes over this next 15 games or whatever? Catless- yeah, yeah, I, I actually, we'll I'm kind of at a loss. I uh, that wasn't part of you know my thinking here. My thinking is, um, as somebody who really did think that this team was going to be in trouble, but still had enough residual talent to compete with the third of the NBA that isn't very good, um, <laughs> you know, and then you know rise up and and you know pull the usual like Wednesday night upset that happens a lot in this league. That's kind of where I thought this team would be just trolling along, you know, awful status quo until cat gets back. Um, But if I I would, and and you know, I mean that I don't listen to podcasts. I, I imagine you've been doing a fabulous job already laying this stuff out in terms of what you think the, the, the current, status quo should be and i'd love to hear it and i'll respond to it well honestly what i've been thinking a lot about is the 15 games cat missed last year and how that team immediately took to an identity behind gorgie jang robert covington shabazz napier and andrew wiggins yeah may they rest in peace (laughs) (laughs) it's certainly Uh, not in the walls anymore but but sure, but you loved that. Oh yeah, you I loved I, that. Group. I did love that group. I mean, Groko and Jang demonstrated that the scheme was not crazy, and you know, it just it it the whole thing felt like uh, it was liberating for Covington. You could tell 
that uh, for sure. he had somebody who wasn't going to make him look bad by hanging him out to dry on these, uh, you know, drive penetrations without help. Right. That group went five and 10 in those 15 games, but they were third defensively in the league over that 35 day span. And I thought that that was indicative of a, a buy-in to the scheme and, and a proof of concept um, in ways to really to the Vanderpool scheme, you know, the, right. what they were, what they were doing defensively and they executed it. Well, that was, that now, was a yep. thirsty Gorgie. That was Gorgie saying, see, you know, yeah. what am I doing? You know, what am I chopped liver? You want to see defense? For sure. Here we go. He was, he was, he was both that. And he was a leader. Right. He was clearly like, he wasn't just like showing out for himself. Like he was, he knew to show out for himself that he needed everybody to do it with him. And he was always, you know, an elite communicator and, and a guy that was just loved by that, that team. And it showed up in the areas where Gorgie Jang shows up and that's defense. Right. And, and, and that's what I'm really curious about now is you can't, that can't be the expectation of this group. Right. You can't be exactly okay. right. like, there, there, there's no, there's no way that they could be the third best defense over this next month. Amen. But they could be, they could find an identity and that they could find catless leaders along the way that, you know, take the guys who now rest in peace, you know, take their place. And, and that's, that's really what I'm going to be looking for over, over this course of time, because, because again, I think it's going to be really important to, to do that. You can't have these 15 games be a train wreck. I, I don't think, I think it's, it's very important for the macro picture here to, to have, you know, a semblance of competition, a semblance of identity, even if it isn't wins and losses. So the big question for me is what is that identity? If it can't be a defensive group, what what are you going what are you going to be, and and what players on the roster are going to make that come to life? Well, let me ask you because I think a really important question to answer around that context is: Do you want to risk elevating Edwards in terms of the pecking order and in terms of how things happen. He's a very, very cocky teenager right now who is enjoying the hell out of being a cocky teenager, which I think mm-hmm. kind of helps him a little bit. Um, you give him some responsibility and, and you know, that's, that's problematical at the same time. If you want a new identity or at least a catless identity in terms Probably of in him, terms right? of pure talent, you know, yeah. uh, you, you you might want to start to specifically call some plays for him that are directed by you know folks like Rubio and and Nas screens and uh, and you know yeah. getting Culver in the mix to help him on the perimeter defensively. Um, you know, I I can see setting him up in a in a uh, maybe not a star role, but certainly kind of like the D'Lo role now. Um, sure. Uh, that you could even sell to the fans as a future move, you know, as something where we're building to the future. Um, I think, Britt, I think that would totally be what happens right now if there was summer league, if there was an extended training camp, and if there was more preseason games. I think Ryan is understandably tepid about throwing him to the wolves I would be too here I would be too be- and and I mean but people aren't I guarantee people are listening to us say that right now and go what the hell play him like who are you know who are the other option play him over Jake Lehman like you know and 
and on the face of it, that's obvious, but there is, that's the, 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 the careful massaging of a, of a head coach that needs to be kind of figured out, particularly with a young player, you know, the, like, you know, Zach Levine, right? Rookie year. He was thrown out there. He was thrown out there as a point guard. And I feel like that is kind of aged into like, oh, something that made Zach. That's not my opinion right. of what that was. I thought that was a pretty unmitigated disaster. Well, it was meant, and, it was a tanking move. I mean, literally, oh, they wanted to lose games so they could get the number one right. pick. And so Zach Levine. And this wouldn't be. Edwards playing would not be that. Right. It would be about winning. It would be about finding an I Well, it would be about progression. And I would be against it. And I tried to talk about this in the column I just wrote. People just say, well, do this and do this. I mean, these are not chess pieces. These are human beings. So, you know, uh, yep. I, I tweeted out the other night, if this was the NFL, Wancho would be cut. Um, that's a cold-blooded thing to say about a human being, you know. Uh, and and it, if, if they could, I mean, if Wancho has outlived his usefulness, if the movie with, you know, uh, Kevin Garner or uh, and Sandler, <laughs> Kevin Garner <laughs> with Sandler uh, noted Adam Sandler co-star, <laughs> uh, you know, he is either out of shape or mailing it in or or everything I didn't like about him last year has been magnified. Uh, but again, no, I, I you hear just you. basically you you cut people off at the knees. If you elevate Edwards, either Beasley or D'Lo are going to take a hit. Um, and it's compounded by the fact that it's a hit being taken while Cat is out, which means you, yeah. you've taken another step down in the pecking order. And these are the kind of chemistry things that are very hard to unring those bells when things happen like this, I mean, for sure, Dario Saric never got over not being immediately put in the starting lineup. I mean, he didn't like the city anyway because it wasn't Philadelphia, but he really didn't like the city when he was sitting on the bench to start games. I, I think that's a good point, and I think it's, I, I think with Wancho, it's, it, it's a super relevant question right now because this team, more than anything, needs. A, a competent four with in, at least when a Kogi's out and probably that still becomes probably even, even when a Kogi's back, but it, it's funny. I was, I was just, you know, kind of looking ahead to the schedule and you, last night talking a little bit about Vanderbilt who, you know, in a garbagey sort of thing showed something for sure. And, and you can't not think about the idea of the next time the Wolves play a big team about just, you know, needing to put him in, the rotation like a legit 16 18 minutes as another big body next to Nas like that just seems like a requirement that's not Washington on Friday but the next two games after Washington Denver yeah I know so to play Vanderbilt you got to cut Wancho out of the rotation so you're gonna give Wancho DNPs against Denver against Denver oh man I mean talk about ringing bells like and and Wancho is Wancho is a he's like Dario in that way where it I think you know it impacts that sound resonates more uh -huh. right that bell resonates more in in certain people with certain mental makeups and 
I don't mean that as like an indictment, like no, he's soft no. or something. It's just like clearly different players in the NBA are cool, more cool with different roles. There's guys who prefer to come off right, of the bench. Right. Lou Williams last night as a keynote example. But it's just, man, it, it's like Ryan Saunders is like to do or to solve list right now is a hell of a task. And it already was with Kat and Akogi, man. The rotations were were a puzzle that was going to be really difficult to solve. And now, and now you've taken out their two best defensive puzzle pieces in Kat and Akogi. And okay. And, there's not going to be a perfect answer. And you know that I've been a, a, a pretty consistent Rosas supporter. What we're talking about here is a failure of roster building. If, Cat and Okogi go down, and it just so happens that a 6'4, 215 pound guy, and a 6'11, 248 pound guy are your front court, and you don't have mm-hmm. anything left in the front court, that's not great Pobo uh, roster building. And Seven million for Wancho. As much as we're bemoaning the human cost of this, uh, in terms of dollars and cents spent, Glenn Taylor should not be happy with it. Um, I've been a big Jake Lehman fan uh, ever since I saw him with Cat play defense uh, last season. But he's obviously pressing like crazy and got off to a terrible start. And now, you know, like Culver last night, couldn't buy anything that was wide open. I mean, these guys are missing wide open stuff more than they're missing contested stuff because it's mental. Um, It is. So, you know, I would never have expected that from Jake Lehman. Yeah, I know. But there you go. And also I, I do think that, uh, well, he's had a weird space in his life because if he fails in this particular opportunity, then he will never see a starting lineup again. You know, he will, he will be lucky to be an eighth man. And that's the stakes for him right now. And he's what 26. Uh, So you can imagine he's not sleeping well either. He and Wancho are probably, you know, 3 a.m. conversations at this point. It's, I think it's going to get better for both of them. I, I mean, maybe that's just by default, by default. Right. But, um, I'm I'm a I, I don't even like saying this right now. I'm a bigger believer in Wancho than you are. Uh and and think and think that there are elements of those fourteen games post trade deadline that are repeatable. That those are not defensive things, those are not starting true starting caliber power forward level things. But they I believe Wancho Hernan Gomez can be a seven million dollar a year player. What I'm not sure about is he can ever do it consistently. And and I know I remember like I was doing I was doing some like preseason, you know, just like talking about the bigs or whatever. And and I just it was pretty easy to just rip through all of the all of the these new guys' possessions. And I remember watching Wancho and hit just his all of his shots. And and we'd done this thing where it's like, man, dude, forty he shot forty two percent from three on like over a hundred attempts. Like that's great. And I remember watching it and being like, those mechanics are not consistent. And and to that end, 
it makes sense to me that he's been a historically inconsistent shooter. You know, it worked out in the 120 or whatever threes he took last year, but but there's just an element to the way Wancho is, the way he carry, the way he physically is, that that leads to volatility. And you go back to Denver; it's the same thing, like up, down, up, down. And maybe the ups are only like a $10 million player and the downs are like a minimum, but like there's, there's for sure that range. And I do think that there will be a time again where he is back playing at the level of a $7 million player that doesn't justify the contract. Would I say delete it if you could like, yeah, but I think, I think there's, there's going to be a Wancho spark here coming maybe just by default and he may be running out of time i mean and he knows that um right that's a good point and so because they're going to change the roster yeah like the deadline there's no way the roster isn't to use your term raised right yet again at, at the deadline right i mean it has to be well certainly something has to be done about the front court you really can't do this i mean this is the nba mm-hmm. and this is not it isn't like you've got P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington as your super small ball guys. You know, you don't have guys who could do this right now. Maybe, you know, down the road you can mold Edwards into. I think I think Josh Okoge is a better defender right now than P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington. Ooh. Uh, defender. No, defender. I know. I, I, offense, I understand what you're support. saying. I, don't... I, I think, and I've said this a bunch, I think – Josh Okogi was playing at a first team all defense level. The first two the, games? Until he got Yeah. And and even at the you know beginning of the Lakers game. I mean, I don't know. That right. And 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 then going back to the preseason, like I, I thought on Ja and on Luca too. Like I think there was he wasn't gonna get that because the Wolves are gonna be a bottom half of the league defense. But I you know <laughs> Lou Dort became this cult hero last season. Josh Okogie is doing every bit of everything Lou Dort did. I will give you Lou Dort. I will not give you PJ Tucker and Robert Covington. Robert, Th- those are di- but those are different things. Those are those are different. Things. I understand, like, but my point is, you can't put PJ Tucker on on uh, who they got who do guard the second game. The you Donovan can't put PJ Mitchell. Tucker on Donovan. Mitchell. No, you can't. And, and you can have you can have Josh Okogie guard. Players, you can't put Josh Okogie on Stephen Adams either. No, he's Josh Okogie is in the center. That, that's why there's but PJ Tucker can slide up a position. Yeah. Yes, yes, that, there's value there. Okay. That, that's for sure. And and, um, and if I mean we are comparing apples and oranges, but I I won't let you get away with the idea that Robert Covington, even with his post injuries, he's got still some of the best hands in the NBA. He's got tremendous anticipation, um, and is below average on ball. I would not. I, I would not. A Covington is a hundred out of a hundred off ball defender. Hundred out of hundred, a plus. Robert Covington is a below average on ball, ball defender. three. I would not say he's a below average player. Well, below average on ball. Uh, well, whatever. I'm making a. a, a Rigged bells to use yeah, our analogy, okay. but I I think we need to acknowledge that this Josh Okogi thing is. If you want to praise to be in the conversation, if yeah. you want to praise Josh Okogi for the way 
he has risen to the occasion with a skill set, circumstantial skill set that we did not imagine, at least I certainly did not imagine, could be accomplished this quickly, this well, then by all means. I mean, that's one of the reasons, Mm -hmm. frankly, that I was saying I'm not as down on this team as a lot of the fan base is right now because I have seen a way through the muddle, at least temporarily, Cat playing well and Okogi performing as a uh, fire hydrant four, um, that that's workable on this team, and that's a huge credit to Okogi. I won't I won't deny that. Mm. Um, it is you said apples and oranges. That's that's the right thing. But at one time, Robert Covington was the same fruit that Josh Okogi is playing on this team, which is the power forward next to Carl Anthony Towns, yeah. and and what we know about the Covington Cat defensive pairing is that it didn't work last year. Now, is Cat a completely different player now than he was a year ago? And would the Covington-Cat duo be better this year? Yes, I think I think for sure. But I, I, what I'm saying is is I think that certainly the Okogie-Cat pairing this season will be defensively better than the Cat-Covington pairing was last no year. No question about it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that. And I, I think that to flip it for a second uh, – the Okogi Jang pairing would not be as good as the Roko Jang pairing. Hundred percent agree with that too. Yep. See, I mean, it yeah. is about relationships, and that totally. again, what I tried to stress in the column, and we'll repeat it here. I really believe this. To say that the team just lay down and died against the Clippers and the Lakers. Nas Reed against Mark Gasol is not fair. Yeah. Nas Reed against Serge Ibaka, let alone Zubak, is not fair. Yep. And and then you're not even talking about the weakest link in the current front court. Of the front court, Nas Reed <laughs> is the stronger link than whoever you're putting at power forward against two teams that the general managers, 92% of the general managers this season say that either the Clippers, well, 11% for the Clippers, 81% for the Lakers are going to win a ring. And you're running Nas Reed and in player X out there, and, and, and you're pissed off that they're losing by 30? Are you kidding me? You know, oh, of course oh. they're going to lose by 30. Can we talk about Nas Reed, though, for a second? Sure. You remember we were sitting next to each other at, at what the, a yo-yo, man. First, the the first game he played. Yeah, oh, that was so like awful. real minutes. Yeah. And, and and we're I'm sitting there and I'm like, yo, Britt, Nas is not knowing he needs to get out of the lane defensively. Right. And like for some reason he just wasn't getting called for it, but it was like we were counting. Yeah. And I was like, he's been he's been right, right. under the basket for eight seconds, seconds right, right now. Right. No, he had he had he had not a clue right what to do defensively and i thought it was actually i remember asking him about it last season not about that specifically but just about playing center or playing defense and he was like i never played center in my life before <laughs> coming to the nba he's like i was aau and at, or at lsu i was a three or a four and, and it shows and i was like and, and it, it, it did still show. shows but 
But Britt, the progression of Nas Reed has been exponential. I think he's going to be a good player when he's 24 years old. I think he'll be a good backup. Which is a good, which is, I think. I, be sufficient. He should get Wancho $7 million in two years. And I, I agree with that, and I see upside beyond that, too. See, I'm not okay. sure about that because I don't see. One of the things about growing up, and you know this better than I do because you've played the game a lot later in life than I have, but when you're on the court at a certain position, you begin to learn the tricks of the mm-hmm. trade. And when you learn them at a certain age, Nas knows the tricks of the three. He, the tricks of the five, Nas gets bowled over a lot. Nas hits the ground. For somebody's 264 pounds, Nas is on the floor a lot. And and it's not mm-hmm. and not in a good way. Um, and so I feel like Nas has impressed me with his growth, where he's come from. And I'm sure the agents for Jared Vanderbilt and some other people are going, what the, you know, why doesn't my guy get even like a scintilla of this much attention, you know? Um, but all that said, he's a yo-yo presence to me. Um, he can look gorgeous for a series of plays and awful for another series of plays. And yes, you can chalk that up to the fact that he's so green out there. He doesn't really know what he's doing still, but you can also say that he has such, he's learning, but he's also got a, uh, let's just call it an unconventional skill set for the position he plays. And some ways that's good. In some ways that's not good. Um, I think he's a better screener right now than Cat, uh, for one thing. Yep. You know, I give him credit for that because that isn't something you necessarily learn a lot as a as a small forward. But on the but but he's got a he's got a diverse offensive package. I mean, the shot is is touch and go, but it's it's a touch shot, and I think it's a I think he's a solid shooter. Is he shooting too much? Probably. He's got he's got an off the dribble game. He's got a nice finishing package around the rim, like. I think it's a, a pretty interesting offensive prospect. He never I mean, dishes I, when he's on his way to the basket. Sure. He is somebody who stands out there high post and and mm-hmm. can find an open man. I'll give you that. But, Britt, that could be developed. He's a good passer. He's a good passer when he's not driving. So I think it's vision. a lot harder. It's a lot harder to develop that. That's fair. You know? Well, yeah, that's like Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I, it, I, I will say, I remember I was sitting at uh, Nasrid's first uh, summer league game. I was with Jonathan Sharks. And and what Sharks said right away is, like, this dude's most Spates. And I was like, <laughs> that's, that's actually a, a really good, good call. call. It's a really, that's good, a really call. Good, good call. Which is and... lovable, but ultimately <laughs> deadly. <laughs> ultimately, he'll kill I... your team. That's been in the back of my head the whole time. And I'm not going to lie, though, I, I see. And what we've seen from Nas in towards the end of last season, at the beginning of this season, is I think there's more than that there. Whoa! I, th- I think he could be. I a think better could be most fates. Interesting. We're we're talking about an undrafted hey, kid. But you can't <laughs> use that because you're talking about the fact that he's he's yeah, yeah, yeah. already a success story on that basis. Thanks, no, thanks to Rosas, the... by the way, and whoever dealt dealt yes. with him in Iowa. You know, I mean. I'm not. I don't want to get over the top and go like Toronto development system thing and start, you know, right. 
saying this is Fred Van he's Vliet, not an Siakam, OG and an OB, Powell, right? But he's the he's the first, I think. So what about J Mac? You know, two three years from yeah. I mean, honestly, like J Mac is guys more were, impressive as a point guard than Nas is as a center. I think hand, hands down. Yeah, but then Nas is just hands down more physically impressive than than J Mac is. So it's well, I'm, I'm not sure that one I'm not sure that J Mac is more overwhelmed at his position than Nas is at his. No, I, I okay. Well, we could talk about J Mac too. I think he should play. I, I I mean, even the blowouts, it's like this dude can so clearly play in the NBA. Yeah, Jordan right. McLaughlin. It's just it's just abundantly clear his what. I mean, what in the world did his agent do right. to not be able to get? I think Jordan McLaughlin's the bet right now at the moment because most two-way players are development right. pieces. I think Jordan McLaughlin is hands down the best basketball player who's on two-way contract right I, now. I would, without knowing the players, I would tend yeah, to agree. Yeah, me neither. No, but... I would tend to agree. I wasn't it a great. He got into the game and like immediately threaded the needle on a pass to Nas for a dunk. I mean, like to my boy Nas. <laughs> From your boy to my yeah. boy, <laughs> uh, I, but but yeah, I mean, it, I okay, all, part right. of this stuff. all that said, <laughs> yeah, what is what you? It's kind of like what Rubio said the other night. We got to get better, and like other people said, well, they shouldn't lose by thirty. All those are great sentiments, but give me the X's and O's, or give me the logic. You say they need to develop a system. The only one that I really see that's viable is fraught with chemistry questions, and that is Edwards. Mm -hmm. Unless you really want to force feed D'Lo, sink and swim, say, hey, buddy, you know, you're getting $30 million a year. Show me something right now. Uh, this, you know, game time is here, and, and you're, not, you're not pulling your weight right now. I think that's. I think it would be fairer to indict him and to to enact on all of that stuff, if there had been a training camp and there had been these first four games and all of that time had been without Cat and you knew there wasn't going to be Cat. Uh -huh. I agree. Like that. What what you're suggesting is a ten games from now thing, if if we see nothing. If that's the direction they more. go in, though. See, that's what I mean. Yeah. What what is the pivot away from Cat? What does that look like? And I have a hard time with it. I have a hard time figuring out uh, what it's... happens when Cat gets back after you've done this 10-game thing. I mean... But, Probably another adjustment period. But, but also, consider it this way. Um, Gorgie Jang had to be traded because he thought he had proved himself in the time Cat was out. And all of a sudden, he's back to his role Next thing you know, we're wandering into the locker room and Gorgie's going, well, I don't understand why these guys don't play some defense. I don't understand why <laughs> why the the, yeah. the head of the pecking order now sucks on defense, you know, and everybody in the front office is going, whoa, you know, we need to get this right. dude out of town. It's what happens when Cat comes back and – you've promoted Edwards over D'Lo or you've promoted uh, Beasley or Rubio uh, is... Well, let's workshop this. Let's Okay, good. This. That's what I want to do. Okay. So I, I think what I see as a primary issue to survival right now starts in the backcourt. We, we touched on it. I think you have to still be 
as intentional as possible about staggering Beasley and D'Lo. Okay. Because the defensive issues are just going to be too profound, in, in, in my opinion, against most opponents. Now, there's, some, there's a little bit of a gradient here based on opponent. Right. But based on good opponent, I, I, I think you have to do that. Now, the other side of that coin is you need to have additional creation on the floor than when it's only one of them out there. The answers there are – the only answers – are Anthony Edwards and Jordan McLaughlin. And I think I think you can use both of them as a secondary creator out there because you can't just go with Beasley as the one and four guys standing around or D'Lo as the one and four guys standing around. So then while they're staggered, you need to have one of McLaughlin or Edwards on the floor next to them. I think that starts to, to, to answer your offensive questions while probably – helping you defensively and McLaughlin can understand his assignment. You just got to give him the smallest guy um, and, and he can hold his own there. And then you hope with Edwards that trial by fire, he can just, he can make a difference enough defensively there too. I think that's where it starts in the backcourt. The front court, you know, is going to be, is going to be problematic. And quite frankly, I don't think there's a solution there without Josh Okoge coming back here shortly i think that will just be an unmitigated disaster okay game after game but but then start with the backcourt all right i think that you as soon as i start to say it i know all the reasons i shouldn't say it but i would start rubio and bring Delo off the bench because rubio and beasley are a really good combination and what you need more than anything else out of this team right now is an organizer, is somebody yeah. gets people going through their paces so that you can get a semblance of a routine. I mean, this team came into the season totally unfamiliar with each other. And now the thing that they were maybe just starting to get familiar with is gone. So it's another blank slate. And after a while, when you're 22, 25 years old, and you've just gotten a lot of money to prove yourself, you know, you see that open look, or, you know, Saunders the other night saying, people started playing for themselves. Beasley's been playing defense as a hero defender all year. It's just that he had guys around him that covered for yep. him pretty well. You know, you don't have a Kogi out there and Beasley's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Sometimes it looks great. Sometimes you get screwed. And then you have D'Lo, you know, with his lackadaisical style. That's a bad combination. If you're going to play defense and you don't have Cat uh, playing 2021 Cat yeah. playing good defense, you have Nas instead. It is very, it, I agree with you there. It's very, very difficult to have Beasley and D'Lo on the floor. So I would bring D'Lo off the bench with either Edwards or Culver or Edwards and Culver, maybe because I think Edwards and Culver are good together. I would bring D'Lo Edwards and Culver off the bench together. And that way you might be able to get away with it. Um, if you play Ed Davis rather than, um, sure. you know, one of the other guys, because you need somebody with, with D'Lo, Edwards, and Culver out there, I think you're going to need somebody who can rim protect. It's not an ideal solution, but 
I, I think what you're saying, Britt, like you're you're saying start and come off the bench. And and really what I think you could be saying that makes it actually realistic is targeting these groups of players together. Because no matter what, there's going to be D'Lo and Beasley overlap, right? There's going to be overlap. Of but there doesn't have to be nearly the amount. I think um... – But you can correct for that with rotations. Yeah, I agree. Quicker, D'Lo first sub out. Yeah, but if, like if D... five, six minutes into the game. Yeah, I mean, all right. But what you miss then is the tone that gets set. One of the reasons I want to start Rubio is because you get people on the same page. Um, you know, the other night, it turned out like Nas was like the, the Jenga piece. You took him out and boom, sure. you know, everything fell apart. Uh, but it could just as easily be other people. Uh, mm-hmm. You have a starting unit for a reason. And when Cat was in there, what you said was, we are going to outscore people and we are going to do our best to limit what guys could get at the rim and from three. And it, it, right. it was relatively good. But without the two main pieces that made that defensive side work, you have to change that pretty dramatically. And then I have no idea what to do with Lehman and Wancho. I mean, they obviously, mm-hmm. to some extent, have to, you know have to be in the mix. What we're really saying here is we do not envy Ryan, you know, trying right. to come up with this. And also, but it's the job. It's the job. Like it's not like. Putting your hands up is not the no, answer right, or just right. keep doing what you're doing is also not the answer. There there are there are better tacks to take and there are worse tacks to take. And we don't obviously you or I don't know them. We're, we're guessing on them, but that's the challenge of the coach. And it's the challenge of the coach to get the players to buy into whatever that is. And I I understand what you're saying about the tone. And I actually think that's prescient. But I also think the coach can. I think Ryan can sit down with Rubio and say, hey, we know we have to give you the keys. We also know, and we know that that's going to be how we set the tone. But at the same time, we need to make the time where you're out there with D'Angelo something that sets another tone that is is positive. And, I mean, to your points, you know, when we talked a lot about the trade a couple months ago for Rubio – like the Rubio Delo pairing has not been working. There, I can't think of any extended period of time. Where I'm like, yep, all right, this is good. These two are synergizing well. They they did for a while there when uh, you had Rubio covering for Delo on when Rubio wasn't making a shot, which was most every game until the last one. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was nice to have people out there that enabled Rubio to just try to create off the dribble instead of being a catch-and-shoot guy. But then again, I think it's kind of revealing that Rubio started hitting shots when he was inserted into the starting lineup. Uh, You know, I I think that's kind of uh, funny. Um, You know, it's... But but you get what I'm saying? Like, I think Ryan has a good enough relationship with Ricky to be able to be like, hey, we have this kind of broken setup right Uh now. and, And we we need to make both of these things work because it's the only way the rotation will work. And, and I think that's the, I think that's the challenge for Ryan. And, and then that's the Ricky, that's Ricky being the Rocco slash Gorgie. Right. Like being able to act that that's how you set 
the tone of what this team's style is and of what this team is going to be about. Like, I think there's a lot on Ricky Rubio. Right and now. that's what, what, what you just said reminds me of what Rubio said about Derek Favors, which was he taught me that when you get replaced, you don't say anything, you do your job, and you help people. Favors got bumped out of the starting lineup when, when Ricky was there, and Ricky was really impressed with the way Favors dealt with that. Uh, so I can see him doing that. One of the things I do want to raise is that we're still so early in the season, there is variability. We wouldn't be, yep. we wouldn't be uh, leaving Culver out of these grand remakes if he hadn't gone 0 for 10 last night, I think. If he had hit 6 for 10, all of a sudden we're saying, yeah, But it's the way he oh, did it, I know, man. The I know. way he did it was just as discouraging as the previous games were well, encouraging. And, and and that is, that's why it's such an open question. That's why neither one of us have touched that with a 10-foot pole. At the <laughs> same true. time, if Jared Culver does make that a blip, then you do have a situation where this is a piece, this is a two-way player. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a couple yeah. of one-way players who are very proficient scorers, but kill you on defense in D in D yeah. and Beasley. If you can have Culver in the mix, he mitigates a little bit that, that lopsidedness. Uh, but if he, it's just not enough. If, it's just not enough though. If he isn't scoring and he loses his confidence, um, that's a big blow. I mean, that's a, that's a stealth, that's a stealth uh, corrosion. Uh, that would, mm -hmm. if, if if what we saw from Culver last night is the beginning of a trend, then the optimism I express in the column today gets gets uh, takes a haircut a little bit. Yeah, I don't know, and I mean I I don't know what's going to happen there. I mean part of like part of me just wants to throw out everything from these two games, and so it's unfair for me to throw out some things and to hold on to others. So. Yeah, I guess we can just leave a TBD on Jarrett Culver because, I mean, we were both ready to throw in the towel on that a month ago and then both singing his praises. I'm not going to jump off of him. Month. Uh, yeah. Uh, because because you, don't, you don't do a behind-the-back dribble on your way to a left-handed scoop layup and then fall apart that fast hopefully i mean if you do <laughs> i mean oh my god you know that means that you are fragile and if he's that yeah. fragile um then you know th that's the hope is that he's fragile and not that fragile i think yeah well because he's for sure fragile yeah yeah and which is another reason i mean i know i keep beating this drum and i could be wrong i mean i beat the jake layman cat drum quite a bit and that's not looking very good for me right now um but i i i do think that the combination of edward's nonchalant swagger and and culver's diligent fragility has a cool kind of balance when they both i know they look for each other on the court uh, some of culver's best times are edwards especially in transition uh, and Edwards likes to look for Culver too. I think they, they have a really good chemistry on the court and I'd hate to see that not, not further develop. And that's probably goes back to the whole, what's the identity thing going to be? I mean, you got to lean as much as possible into the playing in transition. Yes. Edwards is hands down his best there. 
as is probably everyone else. Except like, Dilo. Down to Yeah, but he can he can at least he He's can a pass good there. outlet passer, right. Yeah. I mean I, I would I mean go down to even like Wancho. Like you're Without playing a faster, doubt. he's gonna play better. You know, like that's the identity of this group is not gonna be as black and white as that Roko Jang group where it's like, all right, they defend well, right. they do their job and are trash on offense. Right. Like it's it's going to be a little bit more nuanced, not in numbers specifically, right? Like, but in stylistic preferences. And that's the again, that's the challenge for Ryan, and that's the challenge for the the leaders of of this group is to be like, this is us. This is what we're going to do. It is not probably going to lead to a winning record, but it's going to lead into something that is discernible and that will keep us afloat until Cat's back. And and again, I think that's imp- really important. And I'm not talking about playoffs. I'm talking about the grand right construction of this whole thing You're- is reliant on on having a season. Well, yeah, you let I me mean, let's use the language of Wolves fandom. You know, are we talking about a lost season or merely a faltering season? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we have seen enough lost seasons. Last season was a lost season even before they sure. got bumped out of the bubble. Uh, and the year before too. Exactly. You know, the uh and, 3 is tough. If you go 3 years in a row of lost season, that's half of Cat's career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and for a change my impulse to say, well, some of that's on cat isn't there this year. That's the beauty. I mean, let's get back. We're probably rounding toward the end of this thing. I want to repeat Carl Anthony towns is his true shooting percentage right now is under 50% for his career. (laughs) He's like a 63%. He's sick. He's sixth in NBA history, probably like ninth now in, in true shooting percentage. That's not happening this year, and he is at least as valuable, if not more valuable, than he's ever been in the times that he's played, and it's because he's... And that's going to come, and the the 60s going to come back. Exactly, and he's enabling others. His passing has been superb. His patience on both sides of the floor, knowing when to leave his man, when to come on. Somehow, he began to find an internal rhythm, and to be fair, I mean... Just put perspective here. I'm really talking about five quarters of action. I mean, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm putting a lot on a, a very, very small sample size. On the other hand, I am talking about a guy in his sixth NBA season now who shows signs of understanding what is happening. I mean, the right. difference between Cat next to KG, Cat next to Rocco, and Rocco is at three. And some other times where Cat looked really good is that Cat is the lead guy in any, t- you know, when it comes to Cat and Okogi, Okogi couldn't do what he does if it wasn't for Cat being there, uh, as we will yep. see probably in the next couple of games. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> but I do want to say, uh, no, it's a good point to hit, hit home. Even, you know, I have made a lot out of this and it's hard not to. The guy is going through an unprecedented amount of woe right now. And what is amazing to me is even within that incredible, I wouldn't even call it cynicism. I guess I would just call it uh, some kind of alert depression. uh, 
that he's going through, grief, you know, let's call it what it is, even as he goes through this, he has elevated his game in some very, very important ways. And that is the reason why Timberwolves fans should not be so howling in their despair and thinking that all is lost. Your guy, your cornerstone guy, seems to have taken a step forward. Now, it could all be fool's gold. You know, it, it usually is with the Wolves. But it's, some, it's, it's, it's better to pin your hopes on that than to think that Anthony Edwards is going to win rookie of the year and get 28 a game this year, you know? Um, well, and it's also just more relevant than the two losses against the Los Angeles. Exactly. It, it just is like as, as bad as they were, as bad as those losses were, it's the, it's not only the more encouraging thing to latch onto, it's the more relevant one. And, and the more likely, the more indicative of what's, you know, what's to come. Now there's going to be bumps here for sure over this, this run in, in the next few weeks, because I do anticipate a few other games looking like the LA. Yes, I do too. Coming up, I do right? too. But, but I also do anticipate games looking like the Detroit and Utah game once cats back. And I'm really fascinated at what they do in this window between now and then. So as to be, ready to hum a little bit once cats back into the fold. I think that's, I think that's important and will be the difference between a relevant season or a lost season. I just do. Yeah. That's a good way to end it. That is a good way to end it. Thank you, Britt for doing hey, this. My pleasure. Uh, everyone check out, check out Britt's column um, at the athletic. And obviously you can follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. Um, thank you for doing these more often. I mean, we're not like, we have more to talk about because we're not sitting in the media room together, <laughs> wasting all of our conversations. Um, well, maybe the, the shorthand so is, is not as uh, uh, shorthanded and people can follow the thread now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, all right. Well, I will be back after the Wizards game, which I think that's going to be telling to some degree. And, uh, and we'll get into it from there. Again, thanks, Britt. Until next time, I'm Dane. Peace out. Feeling man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else I'm Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.